You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good morning, church, or good afternoon, church, or good evening, church. Uh, whatever the time is that you are dialing us in here today, I'm so thankful that you are here today as we study God's Word together. My name is Craig Turnbull, and I get to be one of the pastors here today, and I also am very, very thankful that I get to be the one that gets to share from God's Word. So today, if you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. Uh, If you want, we're in an age now where you can even pause the video and grab a copy of God's Word or scroll to the actual passage on your phone. Whatever the case is, get a copy of God's Word. You're going to want that in front of you today. Well, this whole year, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Acts, the entire book of Acts, and we have seen on many occasions the unstoppable power of God as he advances his church In the midst of ease and in the midst of opposition, in the midst of comfort and in the midst of suffering, in the midst of triumph and in the midst of pain, the church has been advancing. And Jesus promised at the very beginning of our book, we saw that his disciples would declare him in the city of Jerusalem and then in the province of Judea and then in the neighboring province of Samaria and then to the entire world. What's Jesus saying? He's saying this is going viral. The whole world is going to hear about this. The gospel cannot be stopped. And when the Holy Spirit falls upon the believers and empowers the believers, they stand and they declare Jesus. And thousands and thousands and thousands are coming to know him. This gospel cannot be contained. And it will change life after life. And the Jewish Religious authorities cannot stop them, and the Roman imperial authorities cannot stop them. And as the angry crowds and the mocking cries and the imprisonments and the beatings continue, these men and these women continue to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Why, why, why? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they know it's true. That's why. This gospel cannot be contained. And with life after life, As the gates of hell fall one after the other and life bursts across the planet, hope surges to the hopeless. The lost are found, the weak find strength, and the sinner is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, what we've seen so far in the book of Acts, it reads like an action movie. And the drumbeat of the book over and over and over again is Jesus wins, Jesus wins, lives are saved, and nothing stops the gospel. And now we come to chapter 16. And as we turned the focus of our series last week, looking now specifically at the church encouraged, our senior pastor Robbie mentioned that that word, that English word for encouragement, is actually a word taken from a French word, and buried in the middle of that French word is another word, a smaller word, and that word is cur, or heart. So the word encouragement literally means to give heart to someone. So the whole point of this portion of the book of Acts for us as we study and go on in study is for our church in this time to take heart. And oh, what a time it is. Listen, listen, listen. God's word, if you're willing for it today, God's word is going to pour a giant glass of heart for you today. 
Courage, real courage, is waiting for all of us if we are willing to drink it up today. And listen, listen, this courage is not some kind of courage that comes by you pulling up your bootstraps, you working harder, striving more, making the list, following the plans. That's not the kind of courage we're talking about here. This courage is entirely found in the Lord. It's entirely sourced from God and God alone. Because here's the thing. What God's word is calling us to, specifically today, is to be encouraged, listen, by looking to the unstoppable incomparable power of our God. Let me put it in a way that's really, really easy to understand. Be encouraged, church, because there is no one like our God. Let me put it in an even easier way to understand. Take heart, because God is awesome. Take heart, because our God is awesome. Now this passage in Acts chapter 16 that I have in front of me and hopefully you have in front of you is gonna list out three remarkable stories for us, all of them pointing to the awesome power of our God. These are three notches in God's belt of glory. All of them should be leading us to a place of great encouragement here today so that we can say at the end of today's message, who is like our God? Be encouraged, church. There's no one like our God. Let's look at the first passage we have in front of us. Let's go verse by verse, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 16. Here we go again. God's word. Let's listen. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now, time out. Let's pause for a second. A couple things for us to remember for our purposes as we study God's word together today. Remember that we are in the city of Philippi. And Philippi is a proudly Roman colony in a foreign land. It's filled with Roman citizens and it was a popular retirement settlement for wealthy Roman soldiers and generals. There's not a synagogue in sight in this Roman city. Let me put it this way, okay? To help you understand, put it this way. If the Roman, if Philippi had a hockey team and it was playing Rome's hockey team, the citizens of Philippi wouldn't know who to cheer for. They're so Roman, it hurts. And Paul and Silas have been in this city for at least a week now, and they, told, they run into, we're told, this slave girl. And the text makes it very clear for us, as we study it, that this is a little girl. She's a young thing, probably younger than eight years of age. And we're told she has a spirit of divination in her. What does that mean? Well, it means in some way a demon has possessed her. And now she has the ability to tell the future. Can I ask you this question before we continue? Could there be any reason why being possessed and controlled by an evil spirit would be a good thing? But her owners thought so. You see, she's more than just a little girl, more than just a slave girl. She's a business venture. And isn't it true that religion has often been used as a business with little care for people and more care about their money? She's a human being owned by other human beings and they make their money off her. The story of humanity and sin upon humanity is one long story that includes the thread repeatedly of people in power abusing and hurting people without power. And here we find this little girl, a little girl who should be protected, who should be cherished and nurtured and loved and cared for. 
being victimized. Her pain is their profit. And we know, don't we, that if it wasn't fortune-telling, it would be something else. No one cares about her. And day after day in Philippi, she brings in money for her masters and goes home at night and lives with a demon. And no one cares. But today is going to be different. Because today is the day that Paul and Silas take note. And today is the day that the Lord is going to demonstrate his awesome power in the life of this little girl. Watch the story, verse 17. She followed Paul and us saying, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now what's happening here? What's happening here is you're witnessing a demon who is trying to stop the most high God by drowning out the message. You can't contradict Jesus, so might as well agree with him over and over and over and over and over and over again in public and try and distract people and try and make them laugh and try anything to get them away from the message of hope in Jesus Christ. You can't beat them, so I'll drown out God. That's the approach of the demon. Yeah, let's see how that goes for you, demon. Verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed, not at the girl, notice. How do I know this? Look at the text, look at the text. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. No more, says God. No more. In the name of Jesus, no more torturing this little girl. Get out, get out. And notice he said it once. And the awesome power of God thunders upon the scene. Look at the power, church. Look at the omnipotent God, this girl enslaved. And you get this, right? This is not Paul's win. This is God's win right here. Let me ask you this. And this is point number one for our message today. Let me ask you this. Who is like our God who brings freedom out of slavery? Freedom out of slavery, long held in bondage, victimized by evil, hurting, in pain, wanting this to be over. The girl is freed in the name of Jesus Christ that very hour by the awesome power of an omnipotent God. You cannot stop him. There is no one like him. And let me tell you this right now, church. Let me tell you this right now. Just as Jesus Christ has had mercy on this little girl, he can free you from every one of your enslavements also. Listen, there is no chain that Jesus cannot snap in a second. Let me say that again slowly. There is no chain that Jesus Christ can't snap in a second. Do you feel like you're held in bondage, victimized by evil, hurting, in pain, wanting it to be over? What is it for you? What evil holds you? What do you hold on to and want gone from your life? What lifestyle, what behavior, what affection, what controlling emotion, what fear, what self-centered focus, what addiction, what idle thoughts that no one else sees, what activities, that no one else sees. What is it for you that you feel like you can't escape? Listen, 
Jesus has mercy enough for all of us. There is no chain that Jesus can't snap in a second. You know what I see here in these verses? These first three verses of our passage, I see the first prison break. A little girl trapped in a prison by a powerful spirit, freed by an even greater power, the hand of God. Do you know what you need to see in this passage? The truth that God can set you free from every bondage you are in. No addiction too great, no sin too controlling, no behavior too shameful. The Lord can snap every single chain. Nothing cannot stop him. There is no one like him. Listen, church, again, real courage today found in looking to this omnipotent God. Be encouraged. The Lord is stronger than any chain. He frees us from bondage, but there's more. We've got another prison break to look at. Look at the next scene we have, beginning in verse 19. I'll read it for us. But when her owners saw that, her hope, that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods, verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh-oh, bad news. You see the chain of events, right? Little girl freed, money gone, now we're mad. Isn't it amazing to see the reactions when the money is gone? Seize them by force and drag them into the center of the town. Jewish troublemakers in a proud Roman village. They're messing with us. They're trying to make us Jewish, but we are Roman. The crowd turns. The leadership that follows the crowd also turns. Garments are torn. Soldiers and ex-soldiers beat them with rods. This is a professional beating. Many blows thrown in prison, but not just in prison, into the innermost part, the darkest place, and chains them up. Hurt, clothes torn, hanging off of them, bloodied and chained. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But look at me at verse 25. Every reason to complain, every reason to quit, every reason to roll over and give up. Darkest part of the night, darkest part of the prison, darkest valley of the soul. But there is a song in these shadows. God is in the midst of this darkness. God is in the midst of the darkness as much as he is in the light. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas, watch this, were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. What's happening here? What's happening here? How are battered men, beaten men, 
bloodied men singing and praising God in the darkest part of the night. How are men who are sitting in darkness in the inner side, inside most part of the prison, how are they sitting in darkness praising the Lord when they should be sitting in despair? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, church. Listen, because they haven't lost anything that means anything to them. I came across these beautiful lyrics just this week. I want you to consider them. Modern day poetry. No less God within the shadows. No less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is. In the highlands and the heartache all the same. Look at the next lines. Whatever I walk through, wherever I am, your name can move mountains wherever I stand. And if I ever walk through the valley of death, I'll sing through the shadows my song of ascent. And then this last line, which I love. Watch this. From the gravest of all valleys come the pastures we call grace. A mighty river flowing upward from a deep but empty grave. From the gravest of all valleys come pastures we call grace. People sing, don't they, when they have a reason to sing. What's the reason for the believer in Jesus Christ to sing? Why do we sing in trial, in difficulty, in pain, in uncertainty, in fear? What's the reason for the believer in Jesus Christ to sing? I'll tell you this. We sing in shadows because no one and nothing can touch our light. No one and nothing can take away the light from us in Jesus Christ. And being seized by a mob and beaten by soldiers and shackled in a dark prison has not touched Paul and Silas's reason to sing. They will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what's happening here, church, in this passage. And that takes us to point number two in our message today. Church, we can find courage in God knowing that there is no one like him. He can bring us freedom from slavery. But we also say this, who is like our God who brings worship, worship out of pain? No, Paul and Silas have lost nothing. You cannot take Jesus away from them or me or you no matter what I face, no matter how difficult the trial or how heart-wrenching the pain or how concerning the future, nothing and no one will take Jesus away from me. We sing in the shadows because you cannot touch our light. And that is reason to sing. He's no less God now, church, you know that. He's no less God now in this darkness than he is in the light. And that's a reason to sing. Two quick applications for us right now. Two quick applications for us. Are you singing? Are you singing? Is your life a song to Jesus today, even in these shadows? Second application. Who is watching you sing? For Paul and Silas, the prisoners were listening to them. 
They were watching the faith on display. Who's watching you sing? Who's watching you not sing? The Lord has mercy for us all. Lord, would we be a people that sings in a time of darkness because you cannot touch our light? Be encouraged, church. The Lord is stronger than any chain. Be encouraged, church. The Lord brings light to any darkness. Now, verse 26, where does the weapon of worship lead them? Watch, watch again, the power of God. You can beat us with sticks. You can drag us into a public court. You can accuse us and yell at us. You can throw a virus at me. You can take my job. You can bring uncertainty in my future. But my God controls the entire earth and nothing and no one will stop him. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Prison break number two. Another trophy on God's shelf, another notch in God's belt of glory. Number one, the slave girl. Number two, Paul and Silas. But number three is the best one yet. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. Now, soldiering is very serious business in the ancient Roman Empire. You would have been especially, this would have been especially true in a proud Roman colony like Philippi with a bunch of ex-soldiers. You do your job wrong, you fail in your role, you lose your life. So when you do your job wrong, you save your family the shame of a trial and public execution and you kill yourself. That's what the jailer is doing or what he's trying to do except a voice from the jail cell calls out. Remember, it's dark, right? It's really, really dark. He can't see, but he can hear words of hope from Paul. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. From despair comes hope. Here's point number three. Who is like our God? Who brings life, life out of death? Look at verse 29. And the jailer called for lights because it's dark and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now why is he afraid now? His prisoners are all there. He doesn't have to take his own life. In fact, if you notice in the text, this is the first mention of the man being afraid. What's going on? What's going on here is he's witnessed the astonishing power of God. He has witnessed the astonishing power of God, and the man is stricken with fear. He's come face to face with a God who can use earthquakes and target earthquakes to free his people. He's witnessed the power of God who cares enough for a small child to free her. And the big, strong jailer is afraid, not of Paul and Silas but of God. Now real despair comes into his voice. Sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
My whole world has been turned upside down. I realize I'm not in control. I see now that there is a God who fights for his people, and I'm not one of the people that he's fighting for. I was one of the people that was beating one of his people. That means that this God is against me now. And the recognition of the power of God meets with the recognition of the jailer's wrongdoing and sin. And the man cries out for mercy. What can I do to be saved? What can I do to be saved? Who can tell me how I can be saved? Please tell me how I can be saved. Some of you are watching this right now and you need to hear what comes next. You are here for this moment. Lord, would you please open eyes to see. Maybe you're here tuning in and you have lived a life just like everyone around you. All your life, you have heard that you can do anything if you work hard enough at it. That if you put in the effort, you can see the reward. Yeah, you've done some things that you're not proud of, but doesn't everybody? And it hasn't been so much. And you look to the left and you look to the right and you say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy or that person or that particular someone. Sure, you're not a saint, but you aren't terrible, right? And all your life you've longed to be part of something more, something greater, something more than what you see. Searching for love and family or friends or relationships or even online, but it's never been enough. It never has quite satisfied you. It's never been what you thought it would be. The family isn't perfect. The relationships fail and online, well, online. But you want more, though. That's why you live. You want a life that someone remembers. You want a life that counts for something. You want a life where you are loved, where you are seen, where you matter. And you do matter. And you are loved. But not in the way you think. You matter not because you have the looks or the ability or the connections or the friends or the loves in your life, but in a different way, a very different way. And maybe, maybe this season of confusion has brought about a clarity for you as difficult as it has been. As you start to see the things that you have loved and chased after have been pulled away from you and you are realizing that those things that you have pursued all of your life don't really matter all that much. And that the life you're living is not what you dreamed it would be. That the relationships aren't all that. And that the stuff doesn't matter. That you're really not in control of your own life. Ancient Philippi was no different. That's why Paul and Silas came there, to tell the amazing news, to share the truth that Jesus Christ had come, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had given his life for the sins of the world. That his work and his life and his death and his resurrection brings about the answers to the questions of every human heart. You say today, I want to be loved. 
God shows you how much he loves you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. God gave his life for you. That's how much you're loved. You say, I want my life to matter. It matters so much to God that he gave his life for you. You matter not because you have the looks or the ability, the connections, the friends, or the skills. You matter because God says you matter. And God was willing to die for you. That's how much you matter. That's how valuable you are. That God himself died for you. You say, I want something more. There is something more. Something so much more than the world around us that's flawed and failing and imperfect and broken and sinful. There's so much more. There's someone so much more. Someone that your life was meant to center on. This great and this awesome God. You say, well, I've been ashamed of all that I have done. But listen, God has so loved you that he gave his son for you that you would not perish, but be freed from sin, freed from shame, freed from guilt. Look at these words in John 1. They're very pointed. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. To all who did receive him, even the hardest hearts, even the most lost, and even you, and even this jailer. And maybe you come to the same spot the jailer is in, and you're saying even today, sir, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, the words of real hope. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. Believe in Jesus. Believe in who he is and what he has done for you. Not just factually thinking about Jesus, but a trust, a turning away from what you have relied upon and a trust and a belief in him. And he will save you from your sins. Not your work, but his work. It's that simple. It's that simple but it will cost you. Jesus asks for your life to give you so much more than you can even imagine. The jailer finds this. Notice now in verse 32. It's not just the jailer. Verse 32, and they spoke the word. That's the same message of life in Jesus. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them all the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Quickly now, I want you to see this. It's not just a belief and then moving on. This is a belief that changes a life. This is the fruit of a changed life. You see this first, there's a godly grief. We're told that the man was trembling with fear. We're told that he begs Paul and Silas to tell him how to be saved. Second Corinthians 7 says that a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to a salvation. God breaks the heart before he can remake the heart. And that's what's happening here. And I pray that's what's happening in many lives, even now. There's a godly grief, but there's also a godly repentance. The jailer repents of the wrong that he has done. And we're told in verse 33 that he washes their wounds. Oh yeah, right, right? 
Paul and Silas were beaten up badly. They're wounded men sharing the gospel. And so the jailer sees this and washes their wounds. And then we're told later that he sets food in front of them. This is a turning away from what he was. There's a godly grief that leads to a godly repentance that leads to a godly obedience. Again, in verse 33, he was baptized at once, he and his family. As his entire family is offered the message of the gospel, his entire family believes, and then his entire family is baptized right away. No waiting for the perfect moment, no perfecting my life, just choosing to walk in obedience to what God says right away. I'll get baptized right away. What a night, what a night. Godly grief that leads to godly repentance that leads to godly obedience, and now look at this in verse 34, it's a godly joy. He rejoiced along with his entire household, we're told in the text, in one night. It's all the same night. This man went from beating two men to almost killing himself to real terror in the face of God, to forgiveness, to life, and hope, and mercy, and salvation in Jesus Christ, and now, joy. All in one night. It reminds me of what David said in Psalm 16. He said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The fullness of joy that can only be found in the presence of God. And as many of us are finding out, it's not found in the things of the world or the circumstances of the world. Joy for the believer in Jesus Christ is only found in the presence of the Lord. And this is what this jailer is realizing. And this is what you and I continue to need to realize. That joy is only found in the presence of the Lord. Now why is this, why? Look at, look at, the, look at what he's done here. Look, look at all the godly fruits of repentance, of, of changed life here. There's been a godly grief and a godly repentance and a godly obedience. I'm gonna get baptized right away and a godly joy. And what I want you to see is that all of this comes from godly belief found in Jesus Christ. Changed life can only come through Jesus Christ. Prison break. Number three, and we step away from the text and we say for a second, who is like our God? Who can bring life out of death? Be encouraged, church. The Lord can save anyone. Be encouraged, church. The Lord can save anyone. Consider again. In the story we have, you have a jailer who was beating the followers of Jesus Christ just hours before. And one of the men in the prison is the Apostle Paul, a man who before Jesus Christ condoned the murder of the followers of Jesus Christ. So you you have a man who beats the followers of Jesus and one of the men he's beating was a murderer in his former life before Jesus. And let me just say this to you as well, church. And this story has been taught to you by a man who has lived a life of sinfulness 
and shame also. Before Christ, a blasphemer and an insolent man. Nothing to be proud of. Now tell me again, tell me again that Jesus can't save anyone. Even me, even Paul, even the jailer, even you, even that loved one. Be encouraged, church. The Lord can save anyone. Be encouraged, church. He's stronger than any chain. Be encouraged, church. He's brighter than any darkness. Now let's look at the end of the passage for us. Verse 35. But when it was day, we've got three prison breaks. Now, when it was day, the magistrates sent to the police saying, let these men go. After all, they're troublemakers. So let's just kick them out of town and we'll fix the jail and we'll go on to life as it is. We'll control the population. We'll put this thing to rest. Verse 36. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, these magistrates, uh, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come on out and go in peace. But Paul said, verse 37, well, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Understand this. In the Roman Empire, a soldier does his job. That's as serious as a heart attack. In the Roman Empire, equally serious, you do not beat citizens. Not without a trial, not without very good cause. If you beat citizens, if your town is known for a town that beats citizens, a Roman legion will march in and burn it to the ground. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Sadly, you may have noticed this, the magistrates were more afraid of the fact that they were Roman citizens than they were citizens of heaven. But they're remorseful. It's a worldly grief, not a godly grief that leads to repentance. Verse 39, so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Now look at the last verse. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. She was from last week. We met her. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. I wonder what they said to encourage them. I, I wonder how they encouraged them. I don't really wonder. Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. Let us tell you. Let's tell you what happened. Let's tell you of a God who can break any chain. Let us tell you of a God who is brighter than any darkness. Let us tell you of a God who can save absolutely anyone, even the jailer in the town. Let us tell you of our God there is no one like our God. Church, I can think of no better way for us to be encouraged today than for us to be reminded again of just who this God is. Who is like our God who brings freedom from slavery? Who is like our God that brings worship in the midst of pain? Who is like our God who can bring life out of death? Who is like our God? And the answer from wherever you are today, 
is no one is like our God. And when we take hold of the truth of the greatness and the glory and the power of our God, that's real courage for all of us today. Real hope for all of us today. May God be glorified in our lives as he would open our hearts to see him more and more. This God who loves us so much, who is so great and so awesome, and who calls us to himself now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the story of these three prison breaks. Thank you that you are no less God today than some 2,000 years ago when these events occurred. You are still the same omnipotent God. You are still the same powerful God. You are still the same God who can do anything at any time. You are still the same God who is mighty to save. You are still the same God who loves us so much. You are still the same God who is sovereign over his entire creation. You are still this God, and there is no one like you, Lord. So we're praying for the hearts who are hearing this message, wherever they would be, for the heart that is enslaved, God, chained to chains of their own choosing, beset with sin, beset with fear and anxiety, patterns of living, patterns of thinking, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would free them, that you would draw them to you, that they would see your love again, God, for them, and that, God, their love for you would kick out, push out of the house of their heart all the other lesser loves, that their worship to you would rise and that you would free those in chains. God, I pray for the hearts who are sitting now in darkness. And rather than singing songs and praying to you, they're sliding into despair. So easy to do in this time. God, would you give grace? Would you cause them to remember and see you again as the God who rules and reigns in the darkness just as much as in the light? And that prayers... And songs be sung in homes that others would see our faith. That true worship would rise, God, as we trust not in the things of the world but in you, knowing full well that no one and nothing can steal our light. And I pray, God, for hearts who are, who are dead, who are far from you, and feel like there is no way they can come to you. God, I pray that the, the message and the hope of the gospel would come to them again, that they would hear, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. God, that heart's turning away from the world that they have lived, and the life they have lived, and the emptiness, and the hollowness, and the brokenness would turn to you and find life, and hope, and joy, and peace found only in the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. God, would you be granting faith? God, would you be granting faith? God, would you be granting faith to believe and life to come? Forgive us, Lord, when we, when we give up and don't pray for people that we think are too far gone 
And maybe another point for us to pray. God, please make us a people that prays to you, even for the heart that we think is so far. God, that all of us, the entire church, and all of us listening would find great encouragement, even today, as we fix our eyes upon you and not the things of this world. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.